what's up, everybody? This is Hala, and you're listening to the Audio Newsroom. This is your go-to place for the latest in podcasting and drop-in audio news. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and I'm here with my co-host of the day, Steve Ulsher Raven. And we also have a special guest. His name is Caro, and he is the Chief Operating Officer of Chartable, and he's going to be joining us soon. He's here. Okay, welcome, Caro. I didn't see you there. He's here. Thank you all so very much for the time and the invitation. And I certainly hope my voice isn't terrible to uh, all of those attending this uh, clubhouse, I guess. (laughs) Yes, it's clubhouse. Your voice is not terrible at all. Your voice sounds great. Sweet. (laughs) Cool. Well, we're going to go over some of the top news stories of the day. And then, like I said, special guest from Chartable. So if you have a question about Chartable, please make sure you think of that question now so we can pull you up to the stage. And Carl's also going to go over some new demographic information that came out from Chartable. So we can't wait to hear about that. But first, let's get into some of the news stories. First on the docket is Netflix. So Netflix is getting into podcasting. Coincidentally, I just interviewed the first CEO and co-founder of Netflix yesterday, Mark Randolph, from my podcast. And then this news came out that apparently that Netflix is searching for a head of their podcast department. I applied for that job. Did you? (laughs) Why not? If Netflix is going... Come on, I I will drop everything to go work for Netflix. I applied for that job. Why not? Oh, that's so cool. Did you really, Steve? No, really, I did. I'm like, well, forget, oh. let me see what happens. You know, I mean, come on, I'd go work for Netflix because I'm big. I, you know, that I can save my $5.99 a month. That seems like a fair trade off. I was thinking the same thing. Like, if I was not the CEO of Yap Media and like an entrepreneur and still working at Disney streaming services, which is where I used to work, I feel like I would have been a shoe in for that job with my streaming experience. I think you would have been. So there you go. So I'm going to use your resume. And I'm gonna I'm gonna use your credentials, and then I will get that job. I think that's a I think that's a brilliant idea. We could apply together, Steve. Join the application. Done. Well, what do you guys think about this? Always lead a leader, so I think it's going to be interesting what happens. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And I think... So Netflix is going to start off with a slate of podcasts that are just related to like the movies that they have and the TV series programming that they have. Do you guys think that Netflix will ever take it to the next level? Like become also a place where podcasters can kind of upload their shows the same way that indie movies can kind of upload their shows? Do you think it will ever get to that point? I mean, I'll speak to that first. And I'll just say that my understanding is actually that is what their plan is. Because my my understanding is they're looking at it from the standpoint of really becoming that one-stop shop, if you will. You know, look, realistically, I don't know how many of you guys have ever done this, but for us with cable television, yes, it's going to show my age here, but yes, we actually still have cable and it is still plugged in somewhere. So um, one of the things that with our cable channels is that we get the the music channels. So how many of you guys have ever turned on your TV and set it to a music channel and just let the music play, right? Same sort of thing. So I believe, and based on what I've read and my understanding of things, is actually that's part of their plan as well, is you've got access to the TV or your device or whatever it is. There will be a station, so to speak, for for podcasts right there on Netflix as well. So I don't think that's far-fetched. I think that's actually in the plans, and, and I believe that's already underway. Uh, This is Raven, and I totally agree with Steve. I think that's exactly where they're going to. I remember, you know, being a big fan of a lot of the radio stations like iHeartRadio and Spotify. And and now, you know, you can go on your YouTube 
YouTube, I mean, not on your YouTube, on your Roku device or anybody that has iHeart and Spotify on Roku, and you're able to listen. I listen to iHeart Radio all the time from there. So it's the same thing. And just like, you know, we have channels on Roku and Amazon Fire and never thought we would be doing that. So this is just where things are going now. They're trying to make it to where people can have uh, the content in all the formats they can possibly be on. I think it's exciting news. I was glad to get from Hawaii today and look through the notes holler and see that. I'm like, OMG, this is exciting. Netflix, podcasting. Yeah, I think it's exciting too. I think it just goes to show you how podcasting is becoming a more common format that people want to digest their content in and and a lot of these major players. So Amazon Prime, Apple TV, HBO Max, all of these players have been moving into the audio space. So I think it is super, super interesting. Caro, any thoughts about this chess move by Netflix and, and what direction you see the podcast world heading? Sure. So we actually... Recently, we one segment I've been focused on is kind of this. I call them like brand original podcasts, but they're more or less branded podcasts. So we definitely see on the chartable, and I think we released some blog posts about it last week. Just this exceptional growth of larger companies such as a Netflix or HBO, or even kind of like the sales forces, right, creating audio. And uh, I think uh, it's, it's necessary. <laughs> There's only so much screen time available. Right. And so one beautiful thing about podcasts and the RSS feed is right, it's it's open. So like from from a Netflix point of view, right, if you could essentially tap into this channel that's like, you know, to acquire users is, is pretty cheap if you have distribution, then it's just another way you could pull them into subscribing for your product, right? So yeah, I think it's gonna continue, right? Again, I think my whole thing is like it's too much stuff to visually look at, but it appears that we haven't reached the point. There's definitely a lot of room for for your ears, right, to kind of take that time. So yeah, I think it'll happen, and uh, yeah, it's gonna have some weird like uh, you know acquisition point of view on on these like uh, different pieces of audio. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, so let's take another news story and move this along. Spotify is taking on Audible. So as of now, Audible is really the premier platform for any sort of books in the audio format. But now Spotify has announced a new partnership with audiobooks platform Storytel, which will allow existing Storytel subscribers to connect their account through Spotify to access their audiobooks within Spotify's app. So this really plays to Spotify's strategy of having all audio content in one place. So before this acquisition, it used to just be music and podcasts, which was a big deal in itself. And now it's also books, audiobooks, which is super, super interesting that they're, you know, packaging all of this audio content in one place. And with that, it makes it easier for people who like audiobooks and who like to listen to music to then transition to listen to podcasts. And that's why people have been saying Spotify has been growing its podcast listenership so much is because they've been creating new podcast listeners because these people like music and then end up migrating to listening to podcasts, essentially. So I think this strategy kind of fits in with that. And Storytel has 1.6 million subscribers, which is really nothing compared to Spotify's 356 million users. So we'll see how it goes. But what do you guys think about Spotify taking on Audible? Any thoughts on that? This is part of a bigger play on Spotify's 
part um, where, according to TechCrunch, this, this is really... And I was just reading about this yesterday, but this is really part of what Spotify is calling their open access platform, their OAP. And so the, the idea here is that it's a piece of that, right? It's sort of the first, as TechCrunch called it, the first notable example of what's possible with their open access platform. And so basically, it's the, the idea here is that the open access platform gives a publisher or creator really new ways to deliver their content to their existing subscriber base by allowing their customers to stream the content through Spotify. And so the idea here, it, at least in terms of what Spotify is looking at with this open access platform, of which now Storytel is a piece of that, is that it, it really is looking to create one all-encompassing platform for content creators of which no matter what you want to do with audio, you should have one place to be able to do that, right? I think ultimately that's the bottom line is it's so scattered right now where if you want to do an audio book, you got to go here. If you want to do a podcast, you got to go here. If you, you know what I'm saying? So it's just very scattered across the various audio channels so my my understanding, my interpretation, and again, just based on reading the, the full TechCrunch article, it really seems like that's their end goal here. And at the end of the day, as a creator, if I can go to one place and push one button and make multiple things happen, that's really a huge win. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think this is a great strategy for any podcast user agent. As a person that listens to a lot of Spotify uh, with my husband for music purpose, as the listener in, it's kind of like, I don't know if I can see myself going to their storytelling or anything like that and keeping up with Audible. I'm not feeling that one. It'll be interesting to see how it happens. I can't wait to have this discussion with my husband, who's a music producer, but they're so big in that space. I'm just not feeling it, but I'd love to hear what Steve's going to add on to that. I mean, look, let me just say this, which is there's always going to be a dominant player in whatever channel it is that you're looking at playing. Just think about it in terms of how for for years and years and years in radio, there was there were bigger players that would own the majority of the radio station. That's still the case today. In in news in newspapers, there was major players who would own the majority of the of the newspapers, et cetera. Right. So, I don't see this as being any different, not tremendously different anyway. In terms of Spotify, really just looking to carve out its place, and it's already doing it. And depending on the numbers that you see, some people are saying Apple still has more downloads and listeners than Spotify. Other stats are saying they don't. So, I mean, it's just, it's kind of conflicting information, but the, there, there's no denying the fact that at some point, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next month, it may not be next year. At some point in the very near future, Spotify is going to be that dominant platform. So everything that they're doing in terms of these acquisitions, in terms of the platforms that they're creating, et cetera, is really just designed with that one goal in mind is to become that dominant audio player in every way, shape, or form. And then it gets interesting in terms of, well, are we heading down the path of things that are monopolistic? And then they may end up getting broken up again if it gets too crazy, but that's uh, that's certainly a discussion for another day. Interesting discussion for another day too, I might add. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for them to monopolize things. Yeah, that's a thought. 
So we're going to move into our product update segment. And Caro, I would love for you to kick it off with the demographics announcements for Chartable. And so Caro, I'm going to kick it over to you. And you can talk a little bit about Chartable's new demographic update. Thank you so much for the introduction. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. This is very neat. My name is Caro Charkwasian. I work at this company called Chartable. We are an attribution and analytics platform. We're very fortunate that we are measuring about 1.5 billion downloads a month via the Chartable platform. So kind of the idea internally always is how do we enhance the data that is already lacking in the space, right? So what we do at Chartable is we place a piece of code, and, and I'm sorry if some of this is, is uh, a little out there, but I'll try my best to kind of bring it down to earth as much as I can. So we place a piece of code uh, called a prefix. You might be maybe familiar with like the pod track prefix, right? So this piece of code gets appended to the RSS feed. Uh, and essentially what's happening there is that that piece of code redirects the download information to a platform. So at Chartable, essentially, right, you put the Chartable prefix on your RSS feed and redirects download information to us at Chartable. Now, what we've done in our most recent release is we we are essentially enriching all the downloads, right, with demographic information. And so what that means is what makes up a download are two components. One of them is the IP address and the other one is known as the user agent. So just items about the device. So what we've done here at Chartable is we receive the IP address from the download, right? And we have a partnership with uh, this company called LiveRamp. And so LiveRamp, they essentially are this giant data pipe company on the internet. And what that allows us to do is it allows us to essentially enrich the data that we have with other third-party data sources. So with regards to the demographic data, we've chosen this partner called Epsilon. They are a leader in demographic data, more or less, right? And so the way we are merging these two databases is via LiveRamp, essentially, right? So we convert the IP address into what's known as a LiveRamp identifier. And essentially, on the Epsilon side, right, they're converting their IP address into a LiveRamp identifier. And what's visualized in the dashboard are essentially the household demographics of your audience, right? So kind of on our pro tier, which is 100 bucks a month, if you integrate your podcast with our analytic prefix, You'll have insight into household income, household education, household ethnicity, household age, and gender. And so it's not just a, you know, just a reflection of, you know, your Spotify listeners or your Apple podcast listeners, but a reflection of all of those who have downloaded from your RSS feed. So we feel pretty excited. You know, my gig before Chartable, I was the VP of acquisition at Wondery, you know, and I had a, I was in charge of releasing those surveys, right? And so this is so nice that it automatically updates every single week with the third-party database. So I feel that's uh, pretty neat for those in, uh, in uh, this room, this clubhouse. And uh, yeah, I could keep going, but I'll uh, leave the clubhouse open for questions. Thank you, Caro. I'll let Steve ask the first question. I have a couple follow-up questions too. No, I was actually just going to, I wasn't sure if you were completely back. I just wanted to say thanks for that description. And uh, Mark, I see you flashing as well, man. Are you, uh, do you have a question for Caro or should we kick it back over to Hala? Yeah, I actually do have a quick question. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Caro, I love Chartable. Use it. Great program. Thank you. But there's a lot of Anchor users out there. A lot of Anchor users. It, it, it's, uh, it's tell me about it. It doesn't work with Anchor. What's that about? Uh, talk to Anchor. <laughs> it's uh, Anchor and the Spotify ecosystem, with the exception of Megaphone for now, 
right? What's happening with the analytic prefix is, is it redirects information to us, right? So we can present that data and enrich it. Essentially, the stance that Anchor, and I think Anchor is pretty much one of the last holdouts, they don't want that, right? They don't want anybody touching their ecosystem. So it's quite a bummer for us because, you know, we do have a healthy amount of users who sign up for Chartable for the charts portion and would like to utilize our tools, but don't have access to that, right? And so we've done our very best of uh, playing, you know, diplomacy with, uh, and ultimately they don't care what we have to say, right? We're not their clients. So we just let our users know that, you know, talk to your anchor rep and there might be this future in which it can happen. But again, you know, they want to keep their universe as close as possible, which I totally get. So sorry about that. This is actually one of the reasons why I recommend <laughs> not using Anchor because they, they hold their data so close to the chest. So anyway, Carol, really excited to uh, listen, to this, listen to this combo. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Well, guys, a couple things just to level set those who came into the room. I was reading a blog that Chartable put out and there's some key demographic trends that I think everybody should be aware of. So podcast listeners tend to have significantly higher household incomes than the U.S. average and podcast listeners tend to be significantly more educated than the U.S. average. So these are like bullet points that you guys can put in any of your solicits for sponsors, people who have never advertised on podcasts before to kind of make your case for why they should advertise on a podcast. And then in general, I think think this new demographic information is going to help us grow our shows because essentially we'll be making smarter decisions on where to invest for our podcast. So if we get the demographic information about our shows, we can then start to target shows who have a similar uh, demographic profile. Um, so Carol, I have a couple questions about that. Are we able to see if we have a pro or enterprise account? Can we see other podcast demographics or can we only see our own? Only your own. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a legal nightmare. Uh, to to do that. But within the dashboard, there's is what we call the industry benchmark, right? So essentially it's an aggregation of all podcasts that are connected with Chartable. Again, it's not all the downloads known in the world. We suspect there's approximately three billion downloads a month, but you know, we're measuring about 1.5 or so. So we feel it's a healthy representation. So when you go on your dashboard, you'll see a dashed line. That's the industry benchmark. And then you'll see your stats. So you could easily see the general demo for the entire podcast audience and see how you stand up against that. So perhaps your audience over indexes in 2250K above, right, compared to the general podcast audience. So while you can't see other shows, we do provide the general overview. Uh, so that way you could get some context of where you stand amongst the general podcast population. Cool. And then are you guys going to be putting out some general reports that kind of give a state of the podcast demographics? Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, um, I think in the blog post, we might've noted something about it, but, you know, I guess it's no surprise, right? Like it's overwhelming college educated, wealthy people who listen to podcasts, right? So I think if things change up in the next couple months, um, or if we see some interesting shifts, perhaps, but, you know, frankly speaking, it's, it's kind of boring right now, right? It's like pretty standard, nothing but white people pretty much, you know, unfortunately. So, you know, it seems like there's a lot more content. So iHeart, right, this morning or last night, they released how they're going to create a whole network for Latinx folks, right? So hopefully as, as content changes, will bring in different demographics. But 
as now, you know, it's cool to know, right? You know, if your podcast over indexes in a segment that isn't, you know, the standard in the space, it just, to me, it's more of a reason why an advertiser should buy uh, an ad on your show, right? Because it's a, it's a unique demo in a pretty straight-laced <laughs> space. Super interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see my demographics. So before we move on from this demographics topic, does anybody on the stage, if you have a question regarding demographics specifically? Okay, Darina, what's your question? My name is Darina. Yes, I am a podcaster. Yes, as you see, I am African-American, which brings me to this. Why are there only a white audience of podcasters? What about the African-Americans like myself who signed up with Anchor, hello.fm, in December 18th of 2020. So where are we going with this? Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, uh, you know, when we think about the early days of podcasting, right, it's just a bunch of nerds with iPhones. So uh, yeah, I just think it just reflects how much further this industry needs to go with developing content, right? And not just on the indie level, but the kind of broader, right? The iHearts, the Wonderies, the, uh, you know, the crooked medias. And we're seeing pushes towards creating content for more diverse groups, but it's clearly not enough, right? So I think uh, as everything becomes more um, inclusive, right? And more voices, not, you know, in like a dorky way or, you know, a non-respectful way, but actually like bring voice, elevate voices from uh, diverse groups more into kind of like these mainstream, you know, networks. I think we'll see that trend change. Uh, And in my opinion, you know, I hope it happens sooner than later, of course. Thank you for your question though. We really appreciate it. Okay, cool. So in the dashboard, where would we find, like, if we have this feature, Caro, and has it yeah. rolled out to everybody with Pro, if we have this feature, would it be in the analytics if, overview? or Right. So if you are on the Pro plan, there's this section on the left-hand side called analytics, and underneath that, you'll see audience. As soon as you click that, you'll see mm. it right away. I'm in my dashboard, and I do have that really cool Okay, cool. Awesome. So I do have some questions on the chartable ranking algorithm. That's what I'm most curious about. So I Uh-oh. am a number well, I'm not sure if you're allowed to kind of share this information, <laughs> but I think it would be helpful for folks on the line. So I'm ranked as a number one education podcast in the trending section very frequently on Chartable, actually, and a lot of my clients as well. So I have an idea of of how to rank, (laughs) but would just love to hear your insights in terms of like, how often do you guys put these rankings out? Because sometimes I see that, you know, they're down for a couple of days and then they come back out. So it's like every two weeks and then it's down. Just want to understand more like what, what those, like what your rankings are and the frequency that you Right. There's like the house charts, the chartable charts, and then there's like the Apple podcast charts. We have no idea. Again, we have an okay idea of how Apple podcast ranks their shows. But with regards to the chartable charts, the trending and the um, larger ones, right, essentially releases every Wednesday. The trending charts, it's all about uh, growth and unique listeners week after week, right, compared to the entire database. So for example, if like this week you had a ton of new listeners come in, right? That's going to push you higher up in the ranking. So we view it like via seven days, right? So it's like a total new listeners per week. So obviously you'll see that that particular chart will index more so for like a brand new show, right? Because by default, they all have brand new listeners, right? And that's kind of the point. It's a trending show. So that's pretty much that. The other one, it's all about just the sheer number of unique listeners you have. So you'll notice, I don't know who's number one. It's always like Crime Junkie or something. You know, it's like 
just a ton, millions of listeners. So uh, that's like the sheer number of listeners there. So that's pretty much it. You know, I, th- I think it's it's pretty straightforward. Like get new listeners, right? Uh, and then you'll rank higher. It's like boring as <laughs> that might sound. And it's all taken for like the last seven days and it's it's rolls out every Wednesday, you said. And how about reviews? Because I've noticed that when I do like a contest for reviews that my ranking jumps up as well. Again, I think you might be referring to the Apple podcast charts. We don't take in reviews with regards to the chartable charts. So from my understanding, what Apple podcast does, it's really kind of like, that's a hot or not chart, right? So it's like previous seven day or, you know, it's like how many new downloads and subscriptions did you get in two days, one day, three days? And it's like the rolling average of like new downloads. And like, I guess now they call them followers, right? So the reviews, to my understanding, don't really play a role in the, in the Apple podcast chart rankings, but uh, I'll, I'll never know for sure. Yeah, we never, I, Apple's like very discreet about their ranking, but no, I'm super familiar with chartable. So I definitely know the difference between chartable charts and Apple charts. I'm just trying to understand the chartable rankings and, and how mm-hmm. they work so I can just better understand it. And so everybody can better understand it so that we can all start to rank across all apps, which <laughs> I've because I think right. more and more, it's not just about Apple. You know, there's a right. lot of other players in this space. There's a lot of international players coming out. And I think that soon people are going to pay attention to the chartable charts a lot more than they do Apple. And I always say that in all of my rooms because I, I truly believe it. Any other questions for Caro on the stage in terms of chartable and their different features or their algorithm? Carol, I have to ask, and this is completely off topic, but completely on topic, clearly, because you're here on Clubhouse. I have to ask, man, what what is the at Comedy Central handle? Oh, I just wanted a handle that I could then send sell to uh, Viacom. <laughs> <That's>... um, I'm <laughs> waiting. I'm waiting for their bet. Oh man! So now we're so the, you're the official uh, Clubhouse squatter. Okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Juliet, did you have a question? Been... Yeah, I'm. I'm so sorry. I do have to go. But I sincerely appreciate everyone's uh, ear time here. If uh, there are any other questions with regards to Chartable, visit Chartable.com. And I think there's an area where you could write in. And uh, we'll try to help out as many folks as we can. So uh, thank you all so very much for the time. I uh, sincerely appreciate this opportunity. And uh, this demographic stuff is pretty neat. So uh, you know, check it out. Critique it. Let us know what sucks about it. And we will try to make it better. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Caro. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. I just, man, this is Raven. I just want to say that was quite interesting. I'm kind of new to Chartable. I haven't used it a lot. And so I feel like I learned a lot having him here today as a guest. Yeah, I did too. But I will say I'm such a nerd. I feel like I knew more about the Chartable ranking than he did. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, the reviews definitely count because I see it. But maybe not. Maybe it's in my head. But um, yeah, I think that was great. I think it's great. And we're going to have executives from different apps coming up here and giving their updates. We had Riverside.fm on Wednesday and we had a great discussion. So many podcasters use Riverside.fm now. So that was great. All right. We're going to move along product updates here. So Clubhouse has officially rolled out to all Android users all over the world. So Android is completely done in terms of their rollout, which is super interesting. But Clubhouse is still based on an invite-only approach, and there's lots of people on the wait list. And so 
Apparently, Clubhouse has uh, let everybody know that they might be releasing millions of millions of people who are on the iOS waitlist into the app soon, which, which should be super interesting. So not only are we getting an influx of Android users, we may also be getting an influx of people who have been waiting on the waitlist. But because they have been on the waitlist and not accepted, it makes you think of like, well, what's the quality of people who are about to get on the app, you know, if, if nobody has been accepting them into the app because if I ever see a friend who's on the wait list, I always just let them in. So it's just a little like concerning in terms of yeah. the quality of people, right? So I guess my question for the panel here and for everybody on stage is what do you guys think about the invite-only system? Do you think that that should just stay as is forever? Or do you guys think that this should just become like any other app? You just download it and you're on. Oh, wow. This is Raven. I like the invite-only I think it makes people hungry to want to be on here. I I don't know. I wouldn't say forever, you know, but I think that it's a, it's a nice touch. It adds a lot of value. I mean, everybody wants to be in. I've got hosts that have been waiting for months to for it to be on Android. And I think the invite is is a special touch. What do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that. So, uh, having been in the tech space for over 30 years. Um, I mean, we launched a store on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. So that's how long I've been online. I've seen a lot of things come and go in the tech space, a lot of trends, uh, a lot of new industries being born, a lot of things going on. And what I will tell you is that there, it's, a, it's a really, it's a fine line between being inclusive and being exclusive. And there is something to be said for initial exclusivity as you work out the kinks, as you're going through beta or alpha or wherever you are in the development process, they need to pull the trigger and they need to pull the trigger now. Because you can look at the numbers in terms of downloads. There were 9.5 million downloads of the app in February. There were roughly 900,000 downloads of the app in, in April. You don't want to get to yourself in a position where you start making people feel unwanted and making people, and this was, this was already going on because it started out on iPhone and then opened up to Android and then it started going on with in terms of inter- international, slow rollouts, monetization for creators, still only available mostly to US creators. There, there's a lot of things going on here in this development phase. Finally, they raised enough money to be able to get on somewhat equal footing with the other players here. But I, I believe they're going to be shooting themselves in the foot if they keep going with this invite-only thing. They need to open it up and they need to open it up like yesterday in order to rebuild some of that momentum. Now, again, anything in tech is going to have ebbs and it's going to have flows. And we're definitely in a little bit of a trough right now as far as Clubhouse goes. But I still do believe that the time invest on this platform will absolutely pay dividends for years to come. But at the same token, from a user perspective, you want everyone to have access to it now because that buzz is, has been wearing down. And in, in my way of thinking, you got you to relight that momentum. Wow, that's a good point. I never looked at it like that. So thanks for saying that by it being it, making people feel left out. So yeah, that, that's a good point. There's a bunch of competitors popping up. So if you know if you're not letting people use this app, they're going to use something else like Fireside or Twitter Spaces. So you know if you're saying the door's closed, they're just going to go next door. So yeah, yeah I'm with Steve. So. Very well said, Steve. I was just going to say a bunch of people just raised their hands. So I wanted to see if anybody wanted to chime in on this specific topic, Mark or Pierre. Hi, this is Pierre. I wanted to chime in just also as well. I do analytics for small and medium-sized businesses. I also write on 
digital marketing as well. I think another concern, these were great points that were brought about having to move quickly, but I think the other concern too is also, I remember there was some reports indicating that Clubhouse had Android clones that were being developed just before they were announcing their official Android version. So I think I think one of the problems now, I think, for new platforms is this idea that, yeah, you want to have some exclusivity, exclusivity, build some buzz initially, but the runway may be shorter than what it was years ago when social media first started out because now you have developers who can almost, not instantaneously clone, but at least mimic something about it. And the reason why I bring up about the Android clones is that they were not official and creates a sort of a privacy issue. How's data being treated, how you are, um, you know, features that can damage your brand, basically, because now data, how you protect you protect privacy is now part of your brand. So I just wanted to bring that up. That's, that, that's another point as well, too, is why maybe the runway may be changing as well. And thank you. If I can just jump in as well, this is Mark. Yeah, that was one of the things that I was uh, curious about as well. I'm actually a, uh, as you can tell from the party hat, a relatively new user and all of that. And I am an Android user, but I was talking to some friends of mine in the business space and I'm in the media and business spaces. And some of them were having those same kind of concerns because I was all excited that I'm on Clubhouse. Still excited them on Clubhouse, but they were concerned that sometimes they were seeing too much personal information out there. And I was letting them know that what I was putting out there was my business contacts and things of that nature. But I think they were seeing personal emails and personal information that they thought was a little bit too free-flowing coming out of Clubhouse. So I don't know what folks in Club 5 think about that, but definitely that's what I was noticing when I brought it up to some friends of mine as I was trying to recruit them into the Clubhouse. So you're saying the level of information that somebody has to provide in order to sign up to Clubhouse seems too invasive? Is that what you're saying, Mark? Um, what I'm saying is that when I've talked to people about it and they've gone into Clubhouse or they've like seen other friends of theirs Clubhouse situations, they were feeling that there was too much of personal information that was being provided out there because they were afraid that that was going to be leading to uh, spam attacks and things of that nature. So they come out of that business community and they were afraid that too many of the clubhouse participants are giving too much information away. And like I said, I've even looked at some people's profiles and I have seen some things that I was surprised that people were so forthright about, including like, you know, some of the celebrities that are here that give some of their information out as well. Like I said, I do networking and I'm in the media space and event planning space. So for me, it actually works, but I do understand where people might have those concerns about privacy. Yeah, I think those are some really interesting points and things that we're going to have to look at. And Clubhouse is competition because Twitter Spaces and other apps are coming out with more and more features. So Twitter Spaces actually just added a scheduling feature. And it seems like their scheduling feature is a bit more advanced than Clubhouse is. So hosts get a reminder 30 minutes before and right before the event. And then users can decide whether they want a reminder or not. So um, on Clubhouse, you kind of just set it. Nobody gets a reminder except for when the room starts. You know, if you're lucky, you get a notification, I think, (laughs) if it doesn't glitch out. So I think Clubhouse kind of needs to speed it up with the features, which is what we've been saying for a really long time. So we got two last stories related to Apple. One of them is brand new, looks like breaking news because I didn't see it this morning. So Apple is launching an affiliate program for paid podcast subscriptions. 
And essentially, Apple Services Performance Partner Program, which already existed, is now officially expanding to include paid podcasts. It's going to be open to anyone where they can share these new affiliate links. And basically, when the users convert through the affiliate link and subscribe to a premium podcast, the partner will receive a one-time commission at 50% of the podcast subscription price after the subscriber accumulates their first month of paid service. So to put that in layman terms, what that means is that if you have a paid podcast, whatever that link is for people to hit that paywall... You can basically recruit people and say, hey, if you guys want to sell my paid podcast subscription, you can get like a referral fee, basically. And you can basically start a referral program for your podcast. That is what this means. It means that you can basically get a street team to start promoting your podcast and they would get paid for any subscribers that they are able to get for your podcast. What do you guys think? Do you think that this is a viable idea that that people will actually do this? And anybody in the audience who has a thought, raise your hand so we can bring you up on stage. I think it's interesting. I would really need to read up on this. I didn't get a chance to read it before jumping on today, but I'm definitely interested in it. I love affiliate programs if they're set up right. And so that's one, this is one I'll pay close attention to. And I wouldn't mind sharing, you know, and getting part of that subscription, but I definitely want to find out more. But I'm glad to see that a lot of these uh, platforms are going more toward making sure creators get paid. So that's always a good thing. And this is Raven, and I'm complete. Your thoughts on that, Steve? <sighs> That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Just a big deep breath. Just, <sighs> you know, I mean, it all sounds so good until you put in time, energy, and effort, and it doesn't reward you in the way that that you hope that it does. I mean, I mean, look, I'm I'm all for you know, looking at things through the rose-colored glasses, and I and I hope that can work well, and I hope that people can make real money on it. But you know, I I just have seen it for so long. In terms of what ends up happening when you when you when you put the onus on on yourself, I mean, because again, as for most people, there are solopreneurs, right? From most people who have a podcast don't have a team, and they're not marketing experts, and they're just trying to to benefit and lean on the expertise of the platforms that they're investing in to help them with some of that. So I I don't know. I mean, like at the end of the day, you you're potentially going to make a few dollars and dimes and that sort of thing. But I, I just don't see, unless you already have a massive platform with a massive following, I just don't see it adding up to any real money. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong on that. I agree. I think this is a good play for like a Lewis Howes or Jordan Harbinger or Joe Rogan, like huge, huge mm-hmm. podcasters to basically have a commercial on their podcast like, Hey guys, are you enjoying this paid subscription? If so, and you want to, if you think you can recruit your friends, you can make a buck if you use my affiliate link. Like, you know, that's how I think it will work. And I think that anybody who's like a a newly starting out podcaster, I feel like it's really not for them. I really feel like it's for the big players out there because otherwise it's not really worth your time because affiliate marketing is so hard. Like you'll be so surprised. It takes thousands and thousands of clicks before people really convert, you know, or I should say hundreds of clicks, but it's, it's not like if you send that link out to a hundred people, you're lucky if one will, will actually buy that. That's all I got to say. So it's going to, it's a tough, it's a tough sell. Yeah. This will be one to watch for sure, but 
I get your point. It can be a lot of work. And as you guys mentioned, the big, the big players, you can definitely see them making some good profit off of it. What would be really interesting is if they took some of those fees and reinvested in the smaller players, right? Like you said, I mean, it's just, it's another, it's just another case of the, of the rich getting richer and, and, and the divide between the haves and the have nots growing wider. And so what would be really interesting and what I would find to be compelling as a, as a proposition here is if somehow some of those fees would be reinvested to help the smaller shows get more visibility and more traction, because that is the, it's the same, you know, it's the democratization here of, of audio that we've all been hoping for. But the, the fact of the matter is that if you've got a show on Anchor, it's probably a smaller show. If you've got a show that is outside of the charts, being able to grow is, is difficult at best. And so it would be more interesting to me if they use this as a, as a tool, as a platform with which to, to help the smaller creators gain more traction. And, and, and then maybe that would, that would incentivize some folks to, to, to jump in a, in a heavier manner. But I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I think the other play that I could see is like teaming up with like a huge influencer and basically giving them an incentive like I'll pay you to promote this affiliate link for my podcast and you know, you'll get a affiliate fee for doing so. I feel like if you're going to do this, you need to do it smart so that it, the link actually goes out to a lot a lot of people. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. All right, so Related to that, Wondery has partnered with Apple. So Wondery is this huge podcast production network. And so they're releasing Wondery Plus. It's a $5 a month and it is an Apple podcast subscription service. So it looks like they're going to be using that playlist feature featuring a lot of their different podcasts and people can subscribe to their suite of podcasts, which I think is pretty cool. If you have a podcast network, I think that makes sense. Any thoughts on that, guys? Not for me yet. <laughs> That's another one I have to take a good look at. I do have a podcast network. So since you brought that up at the at the end of what you said, Hala, I'd be interested in finding out more about that. Are you familiar with that one, Steve? You're talking about, so Wondery Plus, right? I mean, Wondery, of course, for those who are unfamiliar with Wondery, they create shows like Dr. Death, right? Like Dr. Death is a is a Wondery show. They've got a, a huge number of, of, of popular shows. And so Wondery Plus, you know, again, it just goes down to, it boils straight back to, to monetization, right? And at the end of the day, for so long, what a lot of creators were trying to figure out was how do I really get paid for, for my efforts in a way that's commensurate with what other creators on other platforms are getting paid, right? Like if you look at just, let's just take the film industry as an example. And you look at the amount of money that's generated from a really, even in some cases, a really crappy movie, but like a really good movie. I mean, you could be talking about billions of dollars in revenue from a single film, right? So I think there's been a lot of question and a lot of conversation around when you look at the productions and, and having interviewed folks uh, from Wondery and, and Laura Beale from Dr. Death and, and, and others. I mean, I know the amount of time and energy and resources that go, go into creating some of those shows, so there, there's, there's a huge amount of disparity between what that creator gets paid and what someone gets paid on, on the creation of a film, as an example. So I think anything that moves towards helping to level the playing field and getting people paid 
at a level that is more commensurate with the talents that you see in other fields, even television and, and certainly radio, like what Howard Stern's getting and you know those sort of numbers there. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it all boils down to dollars and cents. And if there's a way to, uh, a way to put more money into creators' pockets, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter, in my opinion, what the road is that you get there. You just have to figure out how to get people paid for their talents. I 100% agree. And to your point, maybe these features aren't it, but at least we're headed in the right direction. And these apps are thinking about monetization for podcasters because I think for a long time, it was ignored. And to your point... I think that podcasters in general are, are generally underpaid, even the bigger podcasters. I think you need to reach a massive level of success before you can ever generate a substantial income if you're only trying to monetize based on your content alone. So I think it's a really great point. All right, guys. So our last story is actually, I'm going to kick it over to Steve to tell us about the Outlier Festival. It's May 27th to May 28th. I know that you're on that panel, Steve. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a bit, about what that is? And Yeah. So um, you put me on the spot here, but I'm happy to talk about the Outlier Podcast Festival for sure. I, um, I'm a big fan of obviously everything that goes on uh, in, in the world of podcast, podcast festivals. I mean, as a founder, editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, I mean, yeah, of course, I, I love everything that's, that's podcast. And I love everything that's going on here in the world of festivals, um, podcast movement. I was at the first podcast movement way back when through PodFest. And of course, we did our own events, the New Media Summit and so on. And we're looking to do our own Comic-Con type event as well for the world of podcasts. And that'll come out here sooner or later. But uh, yeah, the Outlier Podcast Festival, it's... Um, so they're doing it virtually. They're doing it virtually uh, here now, um, actually next week, May 27th and 28th. And so that will be a virtual event at outlierpodfest.com is where you can get information uh, on that. But I will say uh, that Ever, Ever Gonzalez, who is the founder of Outlier, has done uh, just so many wonderful things for the podcast industry, as well as Ariel uh, Nissenblatt. And then they've got sponsors like Focusrite and so on who are involved with the with the program. So I would say that in, in the, if, you're a, if you're a podcaster who is a little bit more than uh, than a dabbler like you're really looking to create a business around the world of podcasting and you're more serious about being able to really leverage the business of podcasting then this is this is an, uh, an event that would definitely make a lot of sense for you to attend so I'm I'm going to be keynoting this I actually just keynoted the We Are podcast festival, which is put on by Ronsley Vaz and, and uh, James Whitaker. So there's a lot of great things going on uh, in the world of podcasts and, and these festivals for sure and meetups and conferences and so on. Uh, Outlier is actually going to be doing it in September in Austin, Texas. So they're going to be doing uh, an in-person one that I will be at as well. So I'm super excited to be keynoting this festival and uh, Tracy Hazard and uh, Laura Cathcart-Robbins and they have a, lots of different folks from lots of different... Um, even Alex uh, San Filippo is one of our um, uh, club pod leaders will be speaking there. And so you got people uh, from Bullhorn and Headliner and, and just it's a really interesting mix of folks who will be presenting on the various areas uh, of the world of podcasts. So this one's, uh, I believe, 100% free. And uh, outlierpodfest.com uh, is where you can go to grab a ticket. It's May 27th, May 28th. I will be on a panel on May 27th. And then I will be doing the uh, one of the keynote presentations on May 28th. And uh, yeah, just really appreciate all the work that Ever uh, is doing for the podcast industry. And I'm sure he'll appreciate the fact that we had a chance to uh, let folks know about Outlier. Awesome. Mark, did you have something to add? 
Yeah, I had a quick question. It was actually um, to everybody here, and I was just curious what folks' thoughts were and everything. Well, one was an observation, and then the question was, the observation was, it seems like to some degree, the podcasting community, when we're talking about uh, like having street teams, is borrowing from the hip-hop industry and from the indie rock industry, because I'm here in North Carolina, so I'm familiar with both of those kind of models. And sometimes they work if you go to the colleges and try to recruit people to help you. But I haven't seen a lot of podcasters actually physically doing that. So that's a lot of work in and of itself, trying to find somebody to help you create a street team. But one of the things I was curious about is I'm seeing more and more, I'm calling them alliance groups, like what Digimenters has, and that's Sri Srinivasan's group out of New York and the East Coast, and even like some podcasting networks. I'm part of one actually called Pod TV. It used to be IBM TV until they ran into that whole WIPO situation with the big blue and everything. But I was just wondering y'all's thoughts as pod leaders about these new networks. Because I do remember, I'm in my late 50s, and I do remember the early days of radio and early days of TV in terms of studying from the history books. There was a lot of those networks that popped up out of nowhere. And then eventually, you know, you got the big four or five, PBS, ABC, NBC, and the rest of them. And then it expanded back out later with cable. But I was thinking that something similar is happening in the podcasting world. But I was just wondering y'all's thoughts, because I've even seen like some in the gospel field. And a friend of mine is in funk music, and he's starting to see even some funk music alliances. I can give you some thoughts on that. I think podcast networks are... First of all, they're really disparate. So all of their offerings are different. You know, some podcast networks are like a loose group of people who kind of support each other. Some podcast networks are more formal, like Podcast One. Well, they'll take like 50% of any money from your podcast, but they'll try to sell your ads and they may promise to try to sell your show and get you other opportunities and help with your production and potentially your marketing. So it's like all these different podcast networks have different offerings. And it really just depends on your stage as a podcaster. So I was approached by several networks recently who wanted to sign me. But unfortunately, if they had reached out to me last year, maybe, yeah. But this year I've grown out my team and I'm already selling all my ads and almost sold out and we're growing really fast and I'm growing my show on my own very significantly. And I don't really need somebody to take half my money. You know what I mean? So... I said no. And it just really depends on where you're at. And, you know, if you're able to build a team and and have operations yourself, then there's no need to use a network. Um, But I do have a loose community of podcasters where we we support each other. We give each other advice. We share our links. We co-host events together. Steve, Mark are in my community, you know. So I do have communities, but it's not like an official network where people are signing contracts or anything like that. So it just depends on your stage and what you're looking for. Raven, Steve, would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I do have a podcast network. Started off as a radio network and now it's a podcast and TV network. But mine is more of a mastermind program. So it's not just you know, we help them develop their shows, I mean, create their shows and produce their shows, as well as we help them develop as talk show hosts. So even though it's a network, it's I really look at it as a mastermind for those uh, newbies in the business that need a lot of handholding because they get a lot of it from me and a lot of mentoring. And they just happen to get a podcast, a radio and TV show from it. And we also have an agency so that they can be rolled right into money through different things that we sell on our media side that they make a commission on. 
as without having to do the work. So that's how ours work. Like Hollis says, there's different type of networks. When I created mine, it was early on back in 2011. It was strictly just a radio network. After I connected myself with Steve and being part of the New Media Summit, since it was about podcasting, I felt like yeah, I wasn't 100% being authentic because I was in radio. So then I added the podcast part of it. And it's definitely have grown. And, you know, I love the podcast because people, you know, like the the on-demand. But then there's a, a real plus to having a scheduled show and them feeling like they're on the radio as well. And then TV came along. And then I looked at it and said, you know, I want to help these people make money. I've been there. I almost lost my house, lost a husband along the way and all that because I wasn't monetizing from it. And if I could figure out how they can do that, because most podcasters don't want to do the work, but they want to get paid. And we were able to, um, during the pandemic, build two agencies, one for the host and then one for the guest. And that worked out for us. So there's different ways for different things. I built something around my pain that a lot of my hosts had, and it's worked for us. We'll be celebrating a year in June on that. Thanks, Steve. Over to you. Yeah, I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, it's just going to be a matter of whether or not it's going to make sense for your show to be part of a network um, in a more formalized fashion, like what Hala has been talking about here in terms of what she's done as far as the network goes. That's more of an informal network of people behind the scenes supporting one another. and And that can work really, really well. But selling ads, attracting sponsors, that's when it makes sense to to potentially partner with someone like a Podcast One or an iHeart or a Wondery or whomever to try and get your show onto their platform because not everyone has the bad or the team to be able to sell into advertisers and sell into sponsors. And look, 50% is 50%, right? It's a lot of money. But at the same token, if they can get you a deal that you couldn't get, uh, that's not necessarily a, a bad payout either. So it just really depends on what your goals and what your objectives are. I know a lot of podcasters who just simply want to uh, enroll people and, and attract people to their own products, programs, and services. I mean, that's certainly what we have done over the years, and that's worked really, really well for us. So there is that sort of podcast mafia that's out there. You see it. It takes place oftentimes in terms of podcast appearance exchanges. Like Jay Shetty will go on to Lewis Howell's shows. Lewis will go on to John's show. Like, you know, it's just, it's you have a lot of that. And frankly... If you want to build a podcast audience and you want to get in front of a lot of people, appearing as a guest on a show is probably going to put more money in your pocket in the long run than having an advertiser or a sponsor. But why wouldn't you do it all? So, yeah, I know we got, uh, we're over here. Paula, it's five, six, seven after whatever it is over to, after yeah. the hour here and trying to keep it to an hour on our, on our Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You want to wrap us up? Yeah, 100%. So thank you guys all for tuning into the audio newsroom. Mark, great question. You guys are tuning into the audio newsroom. We're here every single Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. This is also going to be recorded for a brand new podcast that's going to be released on Monday. If you guys want the link to that podcast, just DM me. And I want you guys to do me a favor. If you're not yet following Club Pod, this is the best podcaster club on the app. We have the most thought through rooms in terms of podcasting. It is the number one place. If you want to grow your podcast, if you want to become a podcasting expert, if you just love listening to podcasts, this is your club that you need to be a part of. So if you haven't yet, make sure you follow Club Pod. 
And then as a way of saying thank you for being here with us, you are invited to grab a free lifetime subscription of Podcast Magazine. Go to clubpod.club. Again, that's clubpod.club. And this is a private backdoor link for Clubpod members. And you guys get a free lifetime subscription of Podcast Magazine, which by the way, I was on the cover for January, 2021. Thank you very much, Steve. Yay, (laughs) Hala. And yeah, guys, thank you so much for turning up to the audio newsroom. I think this was our pilot's week, I would say, and it's been a success. So if you guys agree, raise your hand if you want us to keep doing rooms like this, and we will. And thank you guys very much for participating. And uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks, guys. Take care, everybody. Bye, everyone.